Good morning. Welcome to Forest Hill Church, One Church, Five Campuses. want to share with you a couple of wonderful things that have just recently happened in our life and ministry. Uh, uh, several of us on staff and in the body went to Beirut, Lebanon this past week, and we helped open up a sanctuary there with Resurrection Church. It used to be Hadat Baptist, now Resurrection Church, and they have been able to use the money that we gave them from our Christmas Eve offering a year ago Christmas to build this sanctuary and have an outreach now in Beirut that makes them the largest church in all of Lebanon. I want to show you some pictures. Hang on a second. You'll applaud even louder when you see some of the pictures of the church that we helped build for them. Uh, the sanctuary, the inside is just absolutely gorgeous. As you can see, seats about 350 or so people. Uh, they have, again, over 1,000 people that come on the weekends, three different services. They've started a multi-site campus in another place in town. So it's just wonderful to see. And, and Hikmat Kashu, the pastor, wanted to make sure that I said to you, welcome to Forest Hill Church, one church, almost six campuses or kind of six campuses. Would you praise God for what he's doing in that work there? We are pleased to be able to partner with them. Second exciting thing is last week, uh, I've been saying for a while, One Church, Five Campuses, it's been a soft launch. Now it's a hard launch. The South Boulevard campus had their first official worship service last week. Here are some pictures of what happened there. It's a Latino campus. Uh, Jonathan Matos, the pastor, takes my messages or whoever is preaching and preaches them a week later to the Latino campus. Uh, they meet at 1 o'clock until we can ultimately get everything there in order uh, on Sundays. Uh, you can see the... Numbers there, about 120-plus, vibrant worship, and we are convinced that's going to grow to hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even thousands in the months and years to come. So that's officially open now. Would you praise God for our South Boulevard campus? Uh, we don't know of another church in America that's done this. Uh, in a fragile community, especially speaking another language. So we hope we can be a trendsetter there and help other larger, more affluent churches be able to reach into more fragile communities and help them grow in the Lord. We're now continuing a message on the kingdom of God. It's going to be the next 13 weeks, in fact. We're going to look at the 13 major parables in the Bible from Jesus' lips about the kingdom. It was his most powerful message. It is what he preached most often, and it has to do with what he wants all of us to learn mostly about life in him. So let me begin by saying something that I say all the time. My bet is many of you can complete this phrase. The heart of the matter is... A matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The Christian faith is the only world's religion that deals with life from the inside out. All the other world's religions deal with life from the outside in. Rules, regulations, laws especially that we have to obey that then we try to conform our hearts to in obedience. But the Christian faith believes we've been born of the Spirit inside. And once Jesus' love enters our hearts, we desire to obey the law of God, not because we have to, but because we want to. It's a faith that transforms us, again, from the inside out. And perhaps that will help you understand some of these verses. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything starts in the heart. So wouldn't it be right that God would want to change the heart to change the world? Secondly, Jesus' message, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. 
The gospel is the good news. First of all, the bad news that we're sinners separated from God. Our trajectory is eternal separation from him. The good news is that God came to us in Christ, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we receive it by grace through faith, we are forgiven forever. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. It always accompanies the preaching of the gospel. The best definition of repent I've ever heard is stop it. You change behavior that hurts the heart of God because you've realized how much he loves you and you don't want to hurt the heart of the one who loves you so dearly. So today we're going to look at the first of Jesus' kingdom parables in the Bible. It naturally follows Clayton King's message last week where he said, the entry point into the kingdom is brokenness. I wish there was a different way, but that's God's way. When you realize what a reprobate sinner you are and what a mess you've made of life, that's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5, 2, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's when you're poor in spirit, when you have the paucity of your own ability to do anything rightly, that you come to God, receive his grace and forgiveness, and enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, 3, Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That is, when you receive Jesus' life within you, it's his very resurrection life. That's why we began this series on Easter Sunday. When Jesus enters your heart, his very resurrection life enters into you. Romans 8, 11, Paul said, the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you who believe. So what I want to do now in looking at this next parable is identify four different kinds of hearts that are all here today that are all throughout the world. It's called the parable of the sower and the soils. Out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, if you're able, would you please stand? That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So here it is, Jesus in a boat, okay, and everybody's listening to him on the shore. It's almost like God made a natural amphitheater for him to speak and use the water to vibrate his voice off to them. And I think he looked off into the distance and saw something very common in that day, and that was a sower casting seeds on soil. And he probably looked up and saw somebody doing that. Again, it was commonplace in that day. So then he tells this parable, something anybody in that day would understand. A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the disciples asked Jesus for an explanation of the parable. Move ahead to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, keep that in mind, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, now Jesus teaches the parable, and then his disciples come to him and ask, why do you teach in parables? And he answers right after he shares the first parable. Here's his reason for teaching in parables. And by the way, a parable is simply a story that has an earthly subject with an eternal truth. It is a story that has an earthly subject with an eternal truth. So they ask him, why do you teach in these stories? And Jesus answered in verse 10, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're interchangeable terms. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Then he quotes from a passage in Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied that there were people who could see, but they really couldn't see spiritual truths. They could hear, but they couldn't hear spiritual truths. Then Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your eyes, for they hear, For your ears, for they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus was basically saying the reason he taught in parables was this. I'm going to make you work a little bit for these spiritual truths. I'm not going to put them on the bottom shelf and spoon-feed you spiritual realities for the rest of your life. You've got to have ears to hear. You've got to have eyes to see. You've got to yearn for these spiritual truths. And, And here's the deal, Jesus said. If you don't use it, you lose it. Once you identify this eternal truth through the story, if you don't apply it to your life, you're going to lose it. But the people who do apply it, they're going to receive even more spiritual truths. But those who don't, they're going to lose what they have, and it'll be given away to someone else. Use it or lose it. And I'm going to make you, as spiritual people, hunger for more spiritual truth. I'm not going to spoon-feed you. And then he gives an explanation of the parable of the sower and the soils. Bottom line you need to know this parable addresses this issue. First of all, there's the sower. Who's the sower? Well, in the parable, it's Jesus who is sowing the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the word of God that he's teaching. But it's also me and every other preacher 
who preaches from the word of God and sows it into your hearts. But it's also you when talking with your friends and relatives about the gospel and the word of God. You're a seed scatterer as well. So it really is talking about anybody who teaches the gospel and the word of God to any heart, which leads to the kinds of soils. There are four soils that represent four different human hearts. I would guess that today, every single one of those human hearts is in this room. I would even suggest that those four human hearts are every human heart throughout the world. What are those four hearts? So glad you ask. Here's the first one. The first heart is a hard heart. When the sower would sow the seeds, there would be a path right next to it. And like any path in that day that does not have concrete on it, when people walk back and forth on that path over and over again, day in, day out, what happens to that path? It becomes very hard. So when the seed of the word and the gospel of truth is landing on that particular hard surface, Jesus says it just bounces off and remains there. There's been no brokenness, no humility, no tears over your sin. And Jesus says there's an enemy of our soul, the evil one who does not want you to spend eternity with God. And when that seed bounces off the surface of that hard path, like a basketball on hardwood, or a tennis ball bounced before the surf, the evil one comes and steals that seed of the gospel, that seed of the word of God, so that person does not have any small fissure, crack, or crevice where that word can creep down and begin to bring that person to eternal life and bear fruit. Hard heart. I can remember one particular story with a guy who was a dear friend of mine. And you need to build relationships with people who believe differently than you do. He was an agnostic and atheist, self-proclaimed, professed in every way but we really liked each other. So I asked him out to lunch one day, and we were engaging in a a conversation. And and then I asked him, would you mind if I had the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? Now, if you have a great relationship with somebody, they will not be offended by that question. And he wasn't offended. He said, sure, go ahead. So I pulled out the napkin, and I got my pen. It was a paper napkin, by the way. You need to know that. And I shared how on the one side, the huge mountain is we're on top of that mountain. And then there's a a large, deep valley that separates us from another mountain on which God rests. And the chasm between us is huge because of our sinfulness and all the ways we've disobeyed God. I even took him through the Ten Commandments and showed him how we all disobey those Ten Commandments regularly as a part of our lives. And we have an option in having a right relationship with God. Either we can come down off our mountain, walk through the valley, walk up God's mountain, work hard, do rightly, and present ourselves to God. And he say, you're forgiven by your works righteousness. That's one option. I said, but the problem is we have a selfish, sinful heart that all of us are birthed with, and all of us have disobeyed God, and all of us fall far short of his glory. I mean, look at the reality. You would agree with that? He went, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, good. So the only other option 
is for God to come down off his mountain and become one of us and walk up our mountain and pay the price that we can't pay for ourselves. That God in human flesh, the perfect God man, sinless in every way, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Thus bridging the chasm between us and him. I mean, he even drew a cross between this mountain and that mountain, connecting the two mountains together. And at the end of it all, I said, that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The bad news is we're total sinners and we need a savior. The good news is God did something about it and we're saved not now by our works, but we're saved by his grace through faith. And I looked at him and I was so proud of myself. I thought, man, I've really done a good job. Thank you, Lord. The napkin just had a perfect diagram on it. And he looked at it and said, so that's what you believe? And I said, yeah, that's what I believe. And he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in all of my life. He said, hey, how could a Nazarene carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago die on a cross to allow me to go to heaven? That's ridiculous. And suddenly I realized, as I had preached the gospel and the word of God, he had a hard heart. And it just bounced off. And I can well imagine the evil one himself came to take that seat away. But I learned this valuable lesson I want to share with all of you today. If you have a heart for sharing the gospel with your loved ones and your friends, if you have a heart for sharing the word of God with them, always remember this truth. You're in sales, God's in management. You're in sales, God's in management. Our job is to scatter seeds. It's God's job to make hearts fruitful. Hard hearts, they're out there. And my bet is even some of you right now are saying, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Be careful. Be careful of your hard heart. The second heart, interestingly, I call the shallow heart. That's the seed of the gospel and the word of God goes shallowly, superficially deep into someone's heart. And they receive it with great joy, but not long thereafter. They're persecuted because of the word of God. They go through tribulations because of God's word. And like the blistering sun Palestinian days would choke off a seed that went shallow after a few days, so similarly, people who just received Jesus with an emotional experience cannot last long-term living for him. Now, please don't misunderstand we need emotions in our faith. I mean, I love Marilyn with all my heart, and I need emotions in my love for her, and they're there. The same is true in your faith in the Lord. But if your faith is solely dependent upon emotions, it will eventually dry up when especially one thing happens. When you're persecuted because of your belief in the Word of God. When you are persecuted because you believe the gospel is true. I can't speak for you, but I have placed myself under the authority of the scripture. And I do not allow the shifting sands of this culture to define who I am and what's important in my life. It forever changes. But the word of God lasts forever. It is immutable in every way. And you can tell the vitality of the gospel and the word of God in your heart if when you're persecuted because of this book and because you believe the gospel is true, whether you still stand or not. 
Now, Marilyn and I and others just returned from the Mideast, and we heard horrific stories of Iraqi and Syrian Christians who are persecuted largely because of their faith. In Iraq, for example, ISIS demands one of three things with Iraqi Christians when they've captured their territory. Either pay a huge tax and you can remain, or you can convert to Islam, or you can flee. They chose to flee. They left everything because they will not give up their faith in the Lord. That's not the shallow soil. So be careful if your faith is mere emotion. At some point when it's challenged in the scorching sun of tribulation, mostly caused because of your deep faith in the Lord, it won't last. The third soil is what I call the busy heart. Um, That's the heart that just is consumed with the seed of the gospel and the word going deeper and deeper, but eventually over time two things choke out the seed of the gospel and the word. What are they? Well, first of all, the cares of this world. Put another way, worry, fear. You need to understand that worry and fear are antithetical to faith. They can't live in the same house. They war with one another. Faith drives worry and fear away. But the cares of this world, being so concerned that everything's not going to be taken care of and overseen by the God in whom you trust, eventually that chokes the seed of the word of God and the gospel of grace. It's also the careful heart that's so busy trying to do, 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 it never has time to develop the inner heart of grace. It's your calendars filled with so much activity that you don't have any time for the gospel and the word of God. But not only is, are there the cares of this world, Jesus said there is the deceitfulness of riches. Let me give you a synonym for deceitful. Lie. The lie that some of you've bought, that money will meet the deepest longings of your heart. You work furiously all day long thinking if I just had a little more, then I'd be happy. And that's a lie because the truth is you'll never have enough to be satisfied if money is your God. So the deceitfulness of riches reaches down and chokes the seed of the gospel and the word of God and it just doesn't last. And here's the fourth soil, though. The fourth heart's what I call an open heart. Now, you need to know that for any word of God or the truth of the gospel to go down into a heart, that heart must first be fallowed. Put another way, it must be broken. Clayton's message last week. Some of you think that horrible thing that happened to you is the worst thing that happened to you, but if you'll allow God to use it, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Again, that's what Jesus meant, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, how happy are those who've reached the end of their earthly rope. Oh, how happy are those who know that when Jesus is all they have, they understand Jesus is all they need. Oh, how happy are those who've gone through trials and tribulations, and that has opened their hearts, broken it up, so that the seed of the gospel and the word of God can go deeply within. I wish there was a different way. 
but I really don't. Because brokenness is the pathway to fruitfulness for the Lord. And these people receive the word of the gospel and the word of God, and it goes deeply within, and it bears strong roots in him. And that eventually, these roots produce fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Different people producing at different levels because all of us are gifted differently. And God only expects us to lose, use our gifts for his glory. But when we do, we bear fruit 30, 60, even 100-fold. Re- remember I shared with you that the purpose of a parable, a story, is to find an earthly story that has an eternal truth. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Well, here's the eternal truth of the parable of the sower and the soils. Jesus wants us to have a good root in him so we can bear fruit for him. He wants us to have a deep root in him so we can bear fruit for him. And if your life isn't producing fruit for the Lord, you've got to ask yourself the question if the root is connected to him. That's what he meant in John 15 when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And anyone who abides in me, they can produce great fruit. But apart from me, they can do nothing. Is your life rooted in Christ? The proof of the root is the fruit. The proof of the root is the fruit. Say it with me. The proof of the root is? It's the fruit. Now, which begs this question. Are the first three soils, the first three hearts, saved? I don't think so. How can your life be rooted in Christ and bear no fruit at all? If I planted an apple tree in my backyard, and there's proper sunlight, nutrients in the soil, etc., what should my apple tree eventually produce? What? I'm so glad you said apples and not pears or pineapples. That would have really been embarrassing, wouldn't it have been? Of course, apples. An apple tree has to produce apples. Now, let me ask you this question. Do I stand in front of that apple tree every day going, you'd better produce apples. You'd better work harder to produce those apples. You'd better obey to produce those apples. Do I do that? Of course not. An apple tree rightly rooted in right nutrients with right sunshine will eventually produce apples. It has to. Similarly, a life that is rooted in Christ does not produce fruit by legalism, by preacher types or others standing before you and saying, you need to produce more fruit. You need to do better. You need to work harder. That's what Jesus meant when he said, apart from me, connected, you can do nothing. A life in Christ naturally produces Christ-like fruit. This, this whole idea of two is important to me because there aren't thousands of world's religions. Really, there are two. Remember the mountain illustration? You either have a relationship with God by your works or by his grace. Said another way, you have a relationship with God either by what you do or what's been done for you. It's works or grace, do or done. All the other world's religions 
are all about what we've got to do. The only one juxtaposed against them that says you can't do enough because you're sinful is the Christian faith which says it's only by grace. Two worlds religions. Jesus said there are two paths in this life. There's a wide road and a lot of people are on it, Matthew 7. A lot of people are on it. They want to live how they want to live with no interference whatsoever. That's our culture. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. It is a wide road as opposed to a narrow road. And Jesus said, not many are on it. On the wide road, Jesus said there's a door, and that door leads to destruction. On the narrow road, Jesus said there's a narrow door, and he's that door. And it leads to eternal life. Two soils, two religions, two roads, two doors. Which heart is yours? Come on, be honest. Which soil is yours? The hard heart, where the gospel and the word of God just bounces off. You want to live life your way. The shallow heart is just a faith based on emotions that comes and goes. A faith that really isn't operative because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Show me your checkbook and your calendar, and in five minutes, I can tell you where your faith is. Show me your checkbook and your calendar, what consumes your life, and I'll show you your heart for the Lord. Or is it the fourth soil, the fourth heart, which is where Jesus wants all of his people to be? A heart that's been broken apart because you know you're an utter sinner. (laughs) You've repented. Because you know you've got to pull up those weeds surrounding you that are keeping the word of the gospel and the word of God from growing deeply within. Repentance looks at all of those things in our lives that keep us from being intimate with Jesus, and we pull them out. We repent. We get rid of them. We don't want them there. And then the word of the gospel, how much we are loved by God in Christ. Our identity is found in him and him alone. He calls us his children. He says he loves us forever. He says he'll never forsake us or desert us. And we believe that about ourselves, not the lies of this culture, which says how my body looks is who I am. Or how much money I have defines who I am. Our identity is not found in what we own, but who owns us. And then that fourth soil bears great fruit for God. What, what kind of fruit? So glad you ask. First of all, there's a deep love for God's word and the gospel. You love it. It's your lifeline. It keeps life meaningful. I place myself under the word of God. It's my authority in life. I don't sit over it and try to interpret it so I can be comfortable. I'm with a guy this week who's rather liberal in his Christian faith, and he said, oh, David, you just take the Bible literally, which really is a statement to try to intimidate me not to believe the Bible is true. So I answered, what do you mean by that? 
He said, well, you just want to believe every single word of the Bible is true. (laughs) And I asked, what's wrong with that? He said, well, there are many different interpretations of different texts. And here's how you need to respond. Listen, dear friend. Every text has a context. Understand it. And then that context needs to be understood in light of the whole biblical narrative, Genesis through Revelation. And if you understand text and context in the context of the full Bible, there is a clear meaning that comes in the Bible. It is undeniable. It is the desert island phenomenon. That if I'm on a desert island and all I have is the Bible, I can read it and eventually the Holy Spirit through text, context, and the full revelation will show me the perspicuity of the Bible. Are you impressed I know that word? It means the clarity of the scripture, something that biblicists have believed since day one. You don't need to be intimidated by it. And you can rest in the authority of the word of God that guides your life. And when you love the gospel of grace and the word of God, it proves you're the fourth soil. And fruit will start coming out of you. What is that fruit? Worry goes away. Fear capitulates to faith. You you suddenly want to give your money away and spend more time for his kingdom and his glory. You bear the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Notice fruit is singular because all of these are supposed to be ours in Christ. What are they? Love. You love more. You have joy. Marilyn, remember in that Iraqi village that we visited and those women who had left their homes and families in from uh, Iraq and, and fled into Lebanon, they were so joyful because joy was an inner reality for them. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It needs circumstances to be perfect in order to feel well. But joy is an inward reality rooted in a relationship with Christ that doesn't depend upon circumstances. There's peace. And peace isn't the absence of conflict biblically. Peace is the presence of Jesus inside of us that allows us to face any difficult situation. Patience. The word is makrothumii in the Greek. It means even-temperedness. I think of my friend and your South Park pastor, Jonathan Scott, who for the last 20 years has cared for an increasingly debilitated wife in a state of multiple sclerosis. And yet he loves her so deeply. And he serves her so profoundly. And I said to Jonathan before last night's message, I said, you are to me an example of makrothumii even temperedness. And he said, well, you ought to see me on my bad days. We all have them. (laughs) But he is so even tempered in the way that he loves his wife. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and (laughs) self-control. I looked up the word self-control in the dictionary this week. Guess what it means? Self-control That the Holy Spirit who lives within you helps you choose the good and not the bad. Gives you the ability to control alcohol consumption. 
gives you the ability to choose against a drug culture that's destructive. It gives you the ability to choose life instead of death. It gives you the ability to love instead of hate. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They're character fruit that people ought to be able to see in you if the gospel of grace and the word of God has deeply enriched your soul. And then also, finally, there's restoration fruit, reproduction fruit. It is your life being lived out in other people. Dear friends, fruit is reproduced not by what you do, but by who you are. So dads, moms, your kids ought to be reproducing your life in Christ. You who are bosses, you who are underlings, ought to be reproducing Christ in you as they see him. And as we reproduce ourselves in the lives of other people, especially as we share the gospel and people come to faith in him by our words, the kingdom of God is advanced and Jesus receives the glory. Would you praise him for that? Would you please?